Thank you, Lord. And while we're doing that, I'll just make a... I have one more brief announcement. Here's an interesting uh, fact. Did you know that the most effective means... This is proven. The most effective means of evangelism in the world is starting new churches. It's been proven that 80% of the people who are saved are saved in churches that have been in existence less than two years. Isn't that an incredible statistic? Did you know this? If one quarter of all the people in Iredale County, and this is, a, this is stretching it, one quarter of all the people in Iredale County, if all of them gave their life to the Lord, started going to church, there would not be enough churches in Iredale County to house those people. That's a, that's a powerful statement. Well, that's just one quarter. I believe probably one-eighth or maybe possibly one-sixteenth is probably a better statistic, but I can't prove that. So uh, those are just some interesting facts and figures that um, we need to understand. And I believe one of the things that the Lord has always called us to do, unfortunately, <laughs> I'd say unfortunately, because the Lord's always had, I believe this in my heart, but I've sort of resisted it, is to plant churches. And... Uh, so I feel like the Lord's been speaking to me since the first of the year about this. And so I've been praying about it. So I'm really ready to move on a little bit and ask people who are interested to contact me. I'm not asking if you're interested in, in going out and starting a church today because this is the, the truth. I've learned the hard way in life is when God begins to speak to you and deal with you, the best thing you can do is wait on the Lord. Amen. Using the book of Nehemiah as an example, the Lord spoke to Nehemiah about going back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the walls. And guess what Nehemiah did? That he spent four months praying before he even budged. And I think a lot of times we jump out there when God speaks to us and try to do something, and we're premature. And Nehemiah had great success uh, in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. A major engineering feat by today's standards, a major engineering feat, he did that in 52 days rebuilt those walls, and he prayed for 120 days. So that sort of tells you the priority in any kind of endeavor that we believe God's called us to do is to give God a chance to, to speak to our hearts in prayer. So I'm asking if anybody would be interested in praying with me about this and really seeking the mind of the Lord uh, about proceeding ahead. And I really want to proceed very cautiously uh, because this is a big deal. As a matter of fact, we received prophetic ministry this week, and, you know, I was asking the Lord, Lord, I really need for you to confirm this to me. And we, we sit down with these, these folks that were giving us words, and the first word they said to me is, God has called you to be a church planner. You have a tremendous honor. And I'm thinking, I didn't rejoice. I said, oh, no. <laughs> I don't really want to do this, Lord. I mean, my flesh doesn't want to do it, so cause it's bad. It's hard to do. Um, so I think, you know, the Lord really wants to sort of direct us that way. And I'm just interested in people. I don't really have... You know, any where, when, and what, and that kind of thing settled. But if you feel like God may be speaking to you about that, or you would have an interest in praying about it, and let me know, and we'll be getting together some over a period of time to really ask the Lord and seek the mind of the Lord, get you know direction from the Lord about doing this, and we'll see what the Lord does. Amen. Was that clear? Does everybody understand? Very good. Open your Bibles. I hope you gave double the amount you were going to give into that offering. If you didn't, you need to do it. <laughs> Y'all can just relax this morning and don't get stuffy on me. One of the things that we want to do is we want to de churchify church. 
You understand what I'm saying? Church is so religious. So we've got these ideals that we are not going to share with you right this moment. Because we just would be embarrassed in it to share them right now because they're so uh, different. But of how we want to make our church a more inviting, less church place. Amen? When I say church, I mean religious. Because I think we come into church on Sunday morning and it seems like there's this spirit that gets on us. And I don't think that spirit's the Holy Spirit always. I think the, the devil likes to come to church. And uh, we don't want the devil to come to church, do we? We want to leave him somewhere else. But I, we really want to ask the Lord to help us as people to be inviting to the world. Amen. And the, the greatest invitation to the world, I believe, is the Spirit of God. It's when the Spirit of God touches a person, their life changes. So I'm not interested in trying to do things to please people in the world, but I am interested in doing things that would please the Lord, who would be pleased to uh, make church less religious and more uh, real. Amen? So that's, that's sort of my goal, but I'm, part of that money you just gave is to help us do that. So anybody want to give some more money, you got a heart to do something to make the church less religious and more real? <laughs> it pays back big time. Amen. Open your Bibles to Genesis 2. Let me read verse 15. Y'all okay in here? Anybody mad? Anybody offended? If you're not, let me just try and see if I can offend you. You've been around for a while. You've already heard everything, right? Uh Um, man, I've really had a... The Lord's been so good. Isn't the Lord good? Verse 2, I mean, chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Everybody say tend and keep it. Um, so, practically speaking, God has called man, number one, to have fellowship with him, right? That's really our highest call was fellowship with the Lord. And the second thing that God's called every man and woman to, to, to do is to tend and keep the garden of life that's all around you every day. Amen? Did you get that? The garden of life, your garden, your personal garden, your personal self, your family, your environment that you live in. Um, Adam went on, if you go on and read it, I'm not going to uh, give you all the details, but verse 19, 20 and such, Adam went on and began to cultivate the garden, to take care of the garden, began to name animals, give names. Can you imagine that? I was, I was saying about that. You know, the Lord brings a rhinoceros to Adam, okay, and Adam gives rhinoceros the name rhinoceros. The Lord brings a chimp. Oh, yeah, obviously that's a chimpanzee god. I mean, what else would you call him? See, Adam named all these animals. Basically, Adam was tending to the garden of God that was there that he was in the midst of. And God's called us to that. As Christians, there's a spiritual garden that God has placed all around us all the time, every day. Amen? It is there every day. And the devil's plan is to keep you locked into the natural realm. You hear what I'm saying? His plan is to keep you focused on what's going on at this moment in this realm and not realizing there's a whole other spiritual realm around you all the time. I'm talking about Monday morning at 8.15 on the job. There's a spiritual realm at work that God wants us to tap into and function in. Are you with me? And it's a real world. And I spent many years of my life uh, 
focusing on what I'm doing right now and not realizing that God is bringing opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for me to connect in with the spirit, the, the spirit realm. And I've realized that God is calling us as Christians, you know, come up here, it says in Revelation. You know, there was an open door. It said, come up here. And God is calling us as Christians to come up. Come up here and begin to see there's a spiritual realm around us all the time and what kind of foolish people we are to live in the natural realm. So, uh, you know, I begin to observe people um, around here through the week and, and just, you know, like, man, this is terrible. Um, because everybody's stuck, you know, what they're doing, their tasks, not realizing that God's, you know, these opportunities, you can see God shooting opportunities at people and they just, shoot. Shoot, right, right by, flies right by him because so consumed with the, with the moment, with the situation at hand. Anybody feel like they live in that kind of world? The Bible says uh, the kingdom of God is with you, in you, or in your midst, and it means it's there all the time. And one of the things that has really taught me this is having these children here at the, with, at the school every day. And, you know, my... Normal tendency is to be real focused and doing what I'm supposed to be doing and not paying attention to anything going around me till you feel some tug on your pants and you look down, there's a child there, and you start discovering that God is trying to speak to you through these children. Except you become like a little child. You can't see the kingdom of God. And begin to see that there's these gates or these intersections in your life that God brings to us that we're missing. And I've realized for years I have missed many intersections that God's brought to me. Um, a couple months ago I had the I was, I was at this um, uh, retreat and I was taking a, a nap and that's what you do when you go to retreats you take naps. You know you go listen to somebody talking and you go eat and then you go take a nap. So I was going to take this afternoon nap and I asked the Lord to speak to me in a dream in a nap. So I went to sleep and I had a dream. And in the dream, I came upon an intersection, and it was very vivid and clear. And I woke up, and I thought, man, I wonder what that meant. I could tell, I could, I'm not going to take the time to give you the whole details of the intersection. I could clearly see it in my mind right now. I was laying there thinking, praying, asking the Lord, what does that mean, Lord? Went back to sleep. I had another dream immediately. Well, I don't know if I had it immediately. It seemed like it was immediately. You know how it is when you're sleeping. You, you, you go to bed, and you wake up, and it's like, what happened? You know, eight hours has passed, and you've been asleep. Had this next dream. Same dream, completely different intersection, completely different setting. And I was asking the Lord, Lord, I just really don't understand. You know, what does that mean? That's crazy. And I've asked, you know, two or three people who have the ability to interpret dreams, and they just sort of looked at me like, ah, duh, I don't know what it means. So uh, the Lord led me to Mark 11. Let's turn to Mark 11. Are you all with me so far? We're talking about... Uh, Spiritual intersections. We're talking about, and, and this is what happened. Mark 11, I read Mark 11, verse 1 through 6, in another Bible, a King James Version Bible. And, and you know, I usually read in New King James, and so I'm going to read it to you in New King James and then explain what the Lord showed me out of the, the King James. It says, now when they, uh, Mark 11, verse 1, Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethage, and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has set. Loose it and bring it. You got that? So the Lord told his disciples to go do something. And he said, This is what you're going to find when you get to this place. You're going to find this colt. And when you find it, loose the colt and bring it to me. Everybody with that? 
And if, and if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So he gave them real clear instructions on what to do. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those there said to them, why are you doing, why, what are you doing loosing the colt? Of course they would. I mean, if somebody's getting your colt, you'd be asking them. And they spoke to them just as Jesus commanded, and so they let, him go, let them go. All right, here's in the King James Version of the Bible. It says there in verse 6, So they went their way and found the colt tied, okay? They found the colt tied in a place where two ways meet. In a place where two ways meet. You got that? In other words, they found the colt tied in an intersection. And I went back and sort of studied it in the Greek, and that's pretty close. A place where two, way, two ways meet is a better, really a better translation. In other words, what the Lord was, was saying, there, there's an intersection, there's these intersections where the kingdom of God, where the supernatural meets the natural. You, you understand what I'm saying? There are these intersections, there are divine intersections as we're living our life that suddenly we come upon an intersection and something can happen at that intersection. Something spiritual can happen. Something significant can happen. And, and, and that's what, what happened here in this story. They came to this place, and they found the thing to be just like Jesus had said that it would be. And they you know, got the colt, they got the provision that they needed there. And what the Lord was saying, was speaking to my heart, is that there's these intersections, there's these places where the natural and the supernatural intersect each other, where all of a sudden the kingdom of God but will burst into the natural. It will just burst in. That's where a place where, you know, a place where two ways meet, where the kingdom meets the natural. But the problem is, is it's easy to miss some of this. Now, there, if you go and look in the Bible, those, those divine intersections or those places where two ways meet are all through the Bible. The Bible's full of those things. Some of them are real spectacular. Like, like uh, in Acts, it was uh, Philip who baptized this guy, and the Lord immediately caught him away and took him miles down the road. That was a very dramatic, significant uh, interjection of the kingdom of God into the natural realm. This situation right here was not that dramatic in one way. Okay, we go, and there's a cold. Everything looked real natural. But it was the provision of the Lord that was there in that place. Are y'all with me? And see, here's what, here's what I'm saying is I believe there are more of those things happening than we're catching. Because a lot of them are not dramatic. Like, I don't know anybody personally who's been called away. You know, they were here. I know somebody who thought they was one time. I, honestly, I know somebody who thought they were praying, asking the Lord to do it, and they were driving down the road, and they looked up, and the sign said, Morrisville. This person lives in Raleigh. It, and they saw Morrisville, which is a town near Raw, and they thought, Lord, I'm in Morrisville. <laughs> scared that boy. He got scared. He thought God did it. He was like, I didn't have enough gas money to get home. You know, so we're looking for these dramatic things to happen. But I believe that on my, in my daily life, there are these divine intersections that happen. And the kingdom of God is right there for me. It's not going to be something that's real dramatic and something real, you know, it's going to give you chill bumps and, you know, but it's there, it's happening. It's, that's what the Bible's all about. That's what happened there. And see, God wants to, to energize us and open our eyes to see these things. Here's a very practical example of that. Is, uh, where's Philip? 
Can I see this? About your drum. Huh? Go for it. All right, here's Philip. Philip uh, was going to go to this seminar, or what do y'all call that? Worship conference. Creative worship. Yeah, this weekend. Well, his John Mark McMillan called him, I think, Wednesday and said, or Andy McMillan. Andy McMillan is Philip's soulmate. Honestly, Andy McMillan is another Philip, just in a different body. If you got around Andy McMillan, you'd realize this, him and Philip, they ain't right together. You don't want them boys together. It's a double, double situation. But Andy goes to school up in Washington, D.C., and John Mark was going to go pick him up. So he called and asked Philip, would he go with him to pick him up? And Philip was going to have to miss one day of school. I thought, well, you know, that'll be all right. You know, you can miss one day of school, and maybe they can drop you off at, up there at uh, Jonathan's on the way home. Well, Philip comes dragging in Wednesday night after the youth group saying, well, they want to stay to Saturday. And I was thinking, I, ain't, I don't think that's right. I think you're supposed to go to this seminar, this worship thing. And so we talked about it a little bit, and, you know, he was wanting to go on up there, honestly. He didn't, he'd rather go up there and go to the, that's just the way Philip is, okay? He's just a real spontaneous human being, and, you know, wasn't a bad thing. That's just what he wanted to do. And I told him I didn't want him to. I wanted him to go. I felt like the Lord wanted him to. The last thing he said to me, so are you telling me I have to go to this, or are you, telling, are you just telling me this? I didn't, I didn't answer him. I didn't say a word to him. He got a phone call, and he left. That was the last time I saw him till this morning. Because I went off to a pastor's deal, and he, you know, had to, he, he went up here and met somebody, and I didn't see him anymore. Um, he wound up not going. So really, I just sort of left it up to him and God. And I don't know how he figured out. He was. He probably thought I was telling him he had to. I don't know what he thought. I didn't ask him, but but um, he got up, you know, went to this thing, and he had this drum he was playing this morning, and I was, I was asking him about the drum, and what happened? This drum was a very special drum to the Helsers. That this drum meant something to them. But Philip was kept asking them about it. He liked the drum. Where did you get it? He was going to get him one on the internet. Blah blah blah, and they wound up giving him this drum. And given him a prophetic word that basically said, you know, when you play this, you know, they were talking to him about being a preacher's kid and all the religious stuff that gets piled on preacher's kids and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Philip's short version was, well, that ain't the way it's supposed to be. And you got to have the heart of God. And when you play the drum, people hear the heart of God. Now, listen, that was, a dev- that was an intervention. That was one of those times when... when when the kingdom of God burst into the natural. Uh, it seems simple, but here's the thing. you got to obey. See, Philip, if he would have went ahead and did what Philip wanted to do, he would have missed that divine encounter with the Lord. You hear what I'm saying to you? See, Jesus told these guys, you go to a certain place, you do a certain thing, and this is what's going to happen. And that's what happened. Well, he, you know, he needed a little bit of me to help him get there, you know. But that's how the, the kingdom of God works. God will speak to us. God will show us something. And if we'll do what we know to believe to be right, then the provision of the Lord's going to be there for us. And it can be something like that, or it can be an actual provision that you need to live. You, it may be a financial provision, you know. You hear what I'm saying to you? It may be that God is saying, I want you to give every dollar you've got to your name. I want you to give it. And if you'll do that, there'll be a provision waiting on you 
that could be greater than anything that you could get out of your little bit of money that you have. And, and see, we don't think that way. We don't think that way about money. We don't think that way about many things. But there are these kingdom places that want to interject in our life. And I believe it's not just big things. It could be a big financial thing or it could be a prophetic word and you get this drum. Every time you think about this and play this drum, you'll remember what God was speaking to you. And it could be an impacting thing on, on his life if he lets it be, you know. Um, are you all with me on this? My point is this. What are we doing with our daily lives? Are we just going through our daily lives and missing everything that God has for us all around us all the time? Are we really missing much of the provision of the Lord that He really has for His people? Because we're, we're down here eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, getting all our information on what's going on around us, and we're not really getting it from the Spirit of God. We're not getting it from the Spirit of God who's within us trying to speak to us. Is that how we're really living our life? You know, ask yourself that question. Because there really is a kingdom of God. There really is a supernatural world. There really is a spiritual world. And we really are supposed to be spiritual people. We're supposed to be kingdom of God people. We're supposed to be supernatural people. And I believe one of the reasons that we're not is we're not just taking time to allow the Lord to start doing things like this in our life. We're just not doing it. We're too stuck in our situation. So um, one of the areas um, that, that's really been an area of, for me on a personal level, where I have had this, this intersection in my life is, in, is the Bible. Okay? That's been a, a real big area in my life, personally speaking, where God has done supernatural things in my life is through reading the Bible. Okay? And because I couldn't have told you this story without the Bible. I could have had these dreams. They could have made no sense. But the Bible is really what defined to me what those dreams meant. You see what I'm saying? I had no interpretation of those dreams until I read that story. I realized what God was, was trying to teach me and speak to me. Um, so here's what happens with a lot of people, especially you know, the graduates, your lifestyle is going to change. Your life can change. And, and in the midst of change, sometimes, lots of, th lots of times, the Bible gets left out of our life. Okay? Sometimes, uh, you know, I can, like, we went to a, this, this uh, conference, and it's really easy when you, you go into another environment and get away from your daily routine where you don't do things that you normally do. Like, one of the things I normally do is read the Bible every morning and every night, regardless of what I do during the day. So I go in this other environment, it would be easy for me not to read the Bible in the morning or night. Well, I'm going this, I'm going to hear preaching, I don't need to read the Bible, but, you know. And then, you know, summertime's coming, a lot of people go on vacation. Some people go on vacation, they forget about God when they go on vacation. I mean, I learned from, from my pastor, Harry Bazell, years ago... You know, when you go on vacation, you go with God. Because God doesn't want to talk to you on vacation. That makes a vacation wonderful because God is there. And you can, you know, instead of going to the beach and looking at all the girls in the bikinis, you go with God, and God lets you, tells you what to look at and what not to look at, and God speaks to you. So ever since I've been a young Christian, going on vacation for me has been a spiritual experience. God talks to me because I go with that intention in my mind. I don't leave God at home. You see what I'm saying? 
Are y'all with me? And God wants to speak to people through the Bible. He really does. He wants to speak to us through the Bible. So what I want to do is I want to encourage you this morning about the Bible. Don't let your change in situation, your change in circumstances in your life, high school graduates, people who are going on vacation, people who are going on mission trips, anything that throws you out of your norm, don't let those things throw you out of reading the Bible. Because God wants to talk to us through the Bible. God wants you to have divine encounters with Him in the Scripture. And He really does do that. Okay? He really does do that. He really talks to us through the Bible. There really are these divine moments that can happen in your life as you read the Bible. There are spiritual things happening when we read the Bible that we really don't even, sometimes we don't even know they are at that moment. But later we realize something happened back six months ago when I read this verse and I couldn't get it out of my heart and it's turned over and over and over in my heart for months. And then suddenly this revelation came, but it came because I had read it in the Bible. Do you see what I'm saying to you this morning? That's a divine appointment. That's a divine intersection. Reading the Bible doesn't sound real profound. It's not like getting caught up and taken down the road twenty something miles. When I get up and read the Bible in the morning, nothing grand and glorious is happening. Many times when I'm reading the Bible at night, I'm going to sleep. I fall asleep and wake up. I don't even remember what I read. And I'm not talking about legalism here, but I'm talking about having an, a supernatural encounter with God through the Bible. And I really want to encourage us, this summer, don't go on vacation from reading the Bible. If you've gone on vacation, get, get back into it. Now, I want to just read this, because any good farmer, okay, any good farmer can tell you what it takes to have a crop. In the natural realm. They can tell you, this is what you're going to have to do if you expect to have a garden. You plant a garden, this is what you're going to have to do to, get, to make this garden work, to get fruit out of this garden. And I just wanted to, to read, turn to Mark 4. Are you all with me? So we're talking about, I want to make this clear, we're talking about the kingdom of God intersection with the natural realm. When the kingdom suddenly bursts into your natural life. Okay? And what I'm saying to you this morning... The Bible is one of those places, one of them, there's others, but it is one of those places where the kingdom of God can burst into our life. And my goal is, is to give us a hunger and a desire to read the Bible. Because I know, just on a practical level, many Christians honestly do not read the Bible on any consistent basis. They just don't do it. And that's, that's counterproductive. It really is. Um, so I want to give you four points out of the parable of the sower. Okay? Chapter 4, Mark. Four points that I think... Now listen, when I begin to see it like this, see, it changed my view of Bible reading. Okay? Because I'm just like everybody else. I've struggled with reading the Bible. You know? And I get paid to read it. I get paid to study the Bible. That's part of my, part of my job. And I have struggled just in my own... Per, I'm talking about my personal time. Because when I get up and read the Bible in the morning, I'm not reading it for you. I'm reading it for me. I'm not trying to get some message. You know? I'm trying to get God talk to me. When I read at night, I'm just trying to go to bed where the Word of God is the last thing that went into my mind. So if God decides to speak to me, I've got His Word operating inside of me, down in my spirit. Because I know the devil likes to talk to you at night. 
and he does do that. But listen, it says in verse 3, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, listen. So, hey, listen. In fact, he put an explanation for it. So he said, listen. (laughs) If Jesus was preaching this message, y'all would be mad at him. He would offend our religious sensibilities. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear! Explanation point. So, the first seed was planted on this hard-packed soil, and the birds came and ate it, right? Nothing happened with it. second seed was planted on this stony ground, ground with lots of rocks in it. Seed came up. Sun came out. Seed didn't have no root. Guess what happened to the seed when the sun started? It had no, nowhere to draw moisture from. It scorched. It died. It fell over. It didn't produce any fruit. And then there was ones that fell amongst thorns, weeds. And the weeds grew up with the seed. And guess who won? The weeds did. The thorns did. It choked out the Word of God. Uh, and then, of course, was 